Amen. Welcome today. Uh, go ahead, have a seat. My name's Ken. I get to be the pastor here. It's the best. Uh, in the Bible or in church community, like being a Christian, there are three types of leaders. Uh, and is, if you're a church person, you've been here for a long time, you can kind of figure out. We had kind of a prophetic type series. Uh, it was called Revival. That was that. Uh, and then there's also the type of leaders in the church uh, called priests or shepherds. That's the type that I am. That's what gets me most excited. And the one that we just finished uh, called Masterclass. That's kind of like one of those like down in the dirt with you type of things where we say this is how God teaches us to live. This is what God says to you and to me in the mess uh, as we're doing life together, getting our hands dirty and all that stuff. Uh, that's the prophet and the priest or the prophet and the shepherd. And the third type of that uh, is the king. The king sees over everything. It's a 40,000 foot view that God has. All three of these were wrapped up perfectly in Jesus. Uh, but what we're going to jump into today and be here for the next five weeks uh, is something called Next Up. And this is a king series. The king, he cares about defending the kingdom. He cares about growing the kingdom. He cares about taking care of those who are inside the kingdom. And so what we're going to do uh, is look the decades to come ways that as a campus, as a church, we want to build into the decades to come uh, by being pretty intentional for 14 weeks. All right, now, everything we're going to say about for the next few minutes, all of that would have been much easier and much cheaper if everything happened five years ago. But that's not where we are right now. That's not our reality right now. Uh, I was talking with a guy this week. Uh, who built a house in Sunnyside, like here around where we live, like where we do church, where a lot of you live. Uh, it's just like two miles to the west of us. And he built it for $65,000. It's got a pool, it's beautiful landscaping, all this stuff, $65,000. Uh, you're probably thinking one of two things, like how is he connected to the mafia like that? Uh, or secondly, what year was it? And that's the right question. This was 1977. He built his house here in our community for $65,000. Like right now, if we were to build a house right here in this place for $65,000, it would be really important that we change the oil every 3,000 miles uh, and then we rotate the tires about every six months because it's called a car. Nobody's building a house for $65,000. But in 1977, you totally could. We're going to do some things, and we're going to get into a little bit more about the why and the ways that God really has blessed us as a campus here. Uh, there's some things that we want to do, and you've got a book like this that's around your seats. Uh, mine has already been, been through some things. Um, the first half is what are we going to do? And to make it really, really simple, uh, go ahead and take it, look at it, and take it home with you. Like this is, this is part of your application for the week to make it really simple, what do we want to do? We want to raise $180,000 beyond tithes and offerings. Uh, when do we want to do that? From December 1st, 2023 to January 31st, 2025. So for those of you who are counting, you don't have to take off your shoes to do the math. Those are three tax years. Uh, so for some of you, that makes a big difference. For other you, it's like, I wonder who's going to be in the Super Bowl that year. And so do I. Um, what are we going to do? We're going to put solar on this building so that we can start paying ourselves and not pay PG&E. We're going to do some site improvements. If you walk out and you look at the fence just to the south of us that we share with our lovely neighbors who have complained once in three years about us, which is amazing because we're here, all right? There's a reason to complain. Um, 
the fence that's between our house and their, our, our place and theirs doesn't really go straight anymore, kind of leans. And so we want to fix that. We want to make that good. We want to be good neighbors uh, here in our space. Uh, and then we also want to fund some future staff positions. Like if you look around, the people who are on payroll here to do ministry in the capacity that God has given to us, it's me and Aaron, the intern, and yeah, that's all. Uh, so if we're going to live into what God has, I felt, put on my heart for this place, we're going to need some more people pulling on the rope uh, other than just me and Aaron and bringing their gifts in. And we'd love to free up their time and their capacity in a way to allow them to do that full time. And that requires uh, some Benjamins, some M-O-N-E-Y, uh, to make that happen. So we want to give towards solar, towards site improvements, towards staffing. Um, and the reason why we want to do that is, comes from the book of Haggai. Uh, if you're thinking, I did not know that was a word, uh, there's a QR code at the bottom of your outline. You scan that with your phone, and it will take you right to the passage that we're going to read today via the internet, and you don't have to find where it is in your Bible. If you know exactly where it is in your Bible, you're so excited because you're thinking, this is the best hagorific message I have ever heard in my life, because it's probably the only one. All right, we're in a race by ourselves. But the, the point of Haggai is, is a lot of what we're doing uh, with this with Next Up. And that's the idea that God changes lives through his people's lives. Like the message of Haggai is that he's going to use, God is going to use his people to reach and to minister and to rescue and to see forgiveness come to people who don't know about God, who don't care about God, who don't care about his place, don't care about his people, don't care about the church. And as a church, that's who we care about. Ultimately, what we are giving toward isn't just to get PG&E off our back, isn't just to fix the fence. It's so that people who don't know God, people who are lost in their sin, can meet God here. We want to see God change lives through his people's lives. We're the his people. And there's people that we know in every sphere of our lives who need to know Jesus. For some of you, it's family. For some of you, it's coworkers, friends, spouses, we want to see this be the place where they meet Jesus. So the first half of the book explains the why. 180,000 beyond tithes and offerings, December to the next, next January uh, for site staffing and solar. Uh, and the second half is the part that I'm excited about, all right? So we talked about prophet, priest, uh, and king. I, I'm the shepherd guy. I'm the priest guy. What gets me excited about this isn't that we're going to have solar. Like, it's going to be awesome. It'll be great. But the fact that over the next few weeks, as we open parts of our lives that have just maybe not been closed off, just never really like thought about that this is an area of my life where God actually wants to work and wants to use my finances to make me more like him, that's what I'm excited about. 23 years ago, when God called me into the ministry in the back row of a TBWA flight from Nashville to St. Louis, he said, for the rest of your life, you are going to tell hurting people about me. And let's be honest, money causes hurt. The lack of it causes hurt. Frustration and fights around money causes hurt. Worry around money leads to no sleep, which causes hurt. I'm excited about us as a church growing in how God wants to demonstrate his love to you and me around the money that passes through our hands. That's what I'm excited about. That for the next five weeks, we're gonna get to see this and celebrate this and Commit to give towards this. And as a church, take one big step forward 
into honoring God around our finances, that we're gonna get to see financially hurting people get healed by Jesus. Not just because their bank account grows, because we're gonna get into that later, but because they experience the freshness and the blessing of God in new ways. So hopefully by now you find Haggai. Uh, we're gonna start with, with what he says in verse three. And what's happened up to this point is that Haggai is an Israelite. He's the same Israel that's in the news today. Uh, and one thing that happened when he was younger, before the part that we get to right here, uh, is that their lives had fallen apart as a country. Politically, uh, religiously, everything about their country was broken and destroyed. And so God said, if you want nothing to do with me, I'm gonna give you exactly what you're asking for. And that's no relationship with me. And so God raises up an army to the north of them in Babylon. And Babylon comes in and takes over Israel. And the way that they kind of put their foot on the neck of Israel is they take the best and the brightest Israelites and they move them to Babylon. So there's this whole exile that happens that we read about in the Bible. And then Babylon gets overtaken by the Persian Empire and Israel just kind of stays there in the house. Like if you ever moved in somewhere and something was left by the old, po by the old people, but you like it, you're like, I'm not going to complain about this. I'm not calling the realtor. I'm going to keep this. This is now mine. Like when we moved into our new house, uh, there was a wheelbarrow, and that is a great wheelbarrow. And you know who never heard anything about the wheelbarrow? Anybody but me. Like it, it's mine now. And, and for Persia, they overtook Babylon, and Israel, this whole taxable nation, became theirs. And everywhere where the Persian Empire was, uh, they had the saying first, we want the Persian Empire to be great again. And some of that meant that King Cyrus of Persia was going to send people back to their homelands to fix stuff up. So every step along the way, people were praying, God, we want to be back in Israel. We want to be back in Jerusalem, the temple where we had met with God. We want it to be beautiful again. We want it to be built up again. We want people to, again, go to meet God there. And since prayers don't have an expiration date, one day, pagan King Cyrus, who cares nothing about God, who cares nothing about God's people, who cares nothing about God's temple, sends God's people back to do exactly what they had been praying for. God, we want to rebuild the temple. And Cyrus is like, hey, that'll look great in my empire. Go. And so God sends a man named Zerubbabel. There are great names in the Bible. Really good honoring people. And we think, man, I would love to name my kid after them, but the name. So Zerubbabel and Uriah are on the top of that list for me, because how do you spell that? How do you say that? Um, so Zerubbabel goes back with thousands of people, literally on a mission from God and on the mission from their king, rebuild the temple. And so for two years, they do the same thing that we would probably do in their situation. Let's get to it in verse 3. They're on a mission. They got two years to rebuild the temple. And it says this in verse three. Then the Lord sent this message through the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious homes while my house lies in ruins? You know what they did? They spent two years building their own house, telling God, ooh, I'm gonna get there. Eventually, next week, as soon as this is over. Someday, we're going to be there. And so God speaks through, Isaiah, through Haggai and says, stop. Stop building your own lives. Come to me. The problem isn't provisions. The problem isn't resources. The problem is what they were doing with it. 
I was reading this this week, and it jumped out at me. God's not against luxury in this situation. He's not saying that if you have a nice thing, you must be doing something wrong. Because there's no telling how we got the nice thing. He's saying the problem is, is I sent you to rebuild my house, and you're using time and money and resources to make yourself comfortable, and I asked you to build my house. The second thing that stuck out to me is in the next few verses. It says this in verse five. It says, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. Look at what's happening to you. You've planted much, but harvest little. You eat, but are not satisfied. You drink, but you are still thirsty. You put on clothes, but you cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you are putting them in pockets full of holes. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. Again, look at what's happening to you. What he's saying to his people is, is that it's not an answer of more money that's just going to solve all the problems. Because more money always means more problems. He's saying it's not that. What it is in reality is what are you doing with what I've given you? It's not the problem or the solution. Because everything that's gone wrong in that instance, it all costs money. Food costs money. Drink costs money. Clothes costs money. He said the wages that you receive, the money that comes in is disappearing. So the challenge for Haggai's audience and for you and me is what is happening with our money? What are we doing with our money? And I want to be really, really clear here, okay? I know that a lot of you are already scabbed over hoping that this is going to end soon because your life with finances has been a battle. The struggle to put gas in the car that broke down last week and drained your savings after it broke down the month before and drained it again so that you could get to the job where you don't make enough to pay for gas in the car to get to the job and all that stuff. Like the idea of how do I tithe and how do I build godly wealth, that is nowhere on the table for you. What God wants to invite us into isn't just how to get rich because that's not in the Bible as far as blessing from God or the two aren't tied together. But what God wants to draw us into is how to honor God with the money that he's released to us. How do we do that? How do we honor God with what it is? And some of you, your money, finances, bringing it to God, it's been all about scarcity. And Jesus was a poor refugee, just like us, just like a lot of you. And God has a plan for us just as the same as God did for Jesus, to meet needs, to guide, to direct, to lead. And for some of you, you don't want to talk about money because you don't want somebody getting in your business like that. You don't want somebody to tell you how to live. You don't want somebody to to say, this is actually what God wants from us. And as a shepherd, as your pastor, I want to be equally clear about this part too. Money has a way to disrupt what is comfortable and what is peaceful inside of us, unlike very few other things. It's not just get more money and everything will be fine because that doesn't work. Who's Like what part of society is the most worried about money? It's the people with the most of it. That it gets, it's like a worm that gets in their head and does not release them until they have nothing left. 
until so many relationships have been sacrificed on the altar of one more job. So much time with family has been sacrificed on the altar of we don't have enough, we always need more, that we're hoarding onto what comes in instead of being a conduit for God to use that as blessing in our lives for his good. It's spiritual malpractice to not talk about what God wants for money, for us, from us financially. It's right there in the passage. You have clothes, but you can't keep warm. You have drink, but you're still thirsty. You have food, but you're still hungry. That means that there's a right way and a wrong way to handle it. It's not like God just winks at us and says, you're good. He's saying, I've got something for you that's better than just trying to figure it out on your own. And it's worth pushing through the awkwardness to get to the other side. It's worth pushing through. You think about it, like we all have issues, okay? All of us. Now, if you had an issue, like, and we need to go to the doctor for it, not just like talk about it here, but to go to the doctor for your issue. And so you go into the doctor uh, and they've got your chart with everything about you, all of it, and they know everything. And then you step on the scale and they know some more and then they take your blood, their, your blood pressure and then they know some more. And then they go and they like look in your ears and all that stuff and then they know more and more and more. And then at the very end, you tell your doctor, hey, I'm really glad I'm here. I'm glad everything's going well so far. But I, I got an issue and it's, it's like under my clothes. So we need to talk about this. And immediately your doctor is like, whoa, that is disgusting. You keep that to yourself. I got to go. You're gross. That's too awkward. Bye. You know what you do the first chance you get? Find another doctor because you want somebody who's actually going to help you and not just run away when stuff gets awkward. So we're going to push in to the awkward, push through every defense that we've put up. Because God wants to change our lives around our finances. That doesn't just mean a bigger bank account. It means peace with Jesus in an area where we might not have had peace ever before. Because he loves you. Because he's got things he wants to say to you and to me about that. And then he gives a plan. Verse 8. Like I read this this week and I underlined it. I'm like, this is good. And it starts like this. He says, now go up into the hills. So the people who were there, they had been there in, in Jerusalem for two years, which means that anything up in the hills, they didn't put there. It was there when they got there. God sends them up into the hills to find something that he took the first step on. That's the picture for us who have a relationship with Jesus about how God works with us. God sees every person on the face of the earth. What we would say, who are good people? Well, who, would we, who we would say are bad people? God sees the world, and he has a love for the world. Bigger than just what we can expect and what we can like, put in our own boxes. God loves the world, and God knows within his love for the world that the world is lost and broken and desperate without him. That we're sinners. There's sin in our lives that separates us from God eternally, practically, personally, spiritually, every way. We're separated from God because of our sin, because God is holy and he cannot be in the presence of sin. But God didn't leave us there. He sent Jesus into the world to pay the price for our sins so that we could have a relationship with God through Jesus. That happened on a Roman cross. That's why as Christians, we have crosses everywhere because it's our reminder of God's justice and God's wrath and God's grace and God's mercy all coming together in God's action to make us sons and daughters of God. So God, first thing he says is now go up into the hills that I put there first. 
You've been here for two years. I've been here for 10,000. I put them there. We're going to talk about a few numbers today. The first one of those is 100. 100% of what comes in to your financial life and mine is from God. God tells the Israelites, go up into the hills. I put them there. The truth about our money is that God owns it and we manage it. That's a quote from the book that's over here on top of the subwoofers. That's going to shape a lot of the material that we talk about over the next five weeks. As we close today, you can come up, you can respond, you can grab a book. For you who are married, read it together with your spouse. For you who have little kids who are learning how to manage money, read it, for, read it and then talk about it with your kids. Because the best time to start all this stuff is when we're young. 100% of it comes from God. God owns it and we manage it. And then there's the next phrase. He says, bring down the timber and rebuild my house. Like, here's the reality. God put the trees there. The Israelites have been there for two years. You can't grow a tree to build a house in two years. That means it needs to be there for like 70 years before. And so God put those trees there. And he says, I want you to go out into what I created and what I gave you. And I want you to bring stuff back for my temple. Second number. So the first number was what? 100? Right. Second number is 10. It's 10%. The model, the picture that God gives us of giving back to him is 10% of everything that he gives to us. One reason I love that is because it's simple math, let's be honest. Second reason that I love that is because it's not a flat rate. That as inflation and ability and income fluctuates throughout eternity, man, God says, I want, I want 10% back. The reason that he asks for 10% is for the church to be built up and sustained and empowered for mission around the world for people that know us but don't know Jesus. That's why we give to the local church is so that for those of us in here who are Jesus followers, the way that we met Jesus here or at wherever church you were at, it's gonna extend to somebody else who needs to meet Jesus the way that you and I did. We're giving toward the salvation of people that we might run into on the streets but they don't know the God that we know. We give toward their evangelism. We give toward their salvation. You know, it's real easy to think like, like, does God have the right to tell me what to do with my money? I mean, 100% comes from him, but is this even like biblically the way to do it? It's, it's God's money. It's 100%. And I, I feel like this morning, uh, there's someone here who, who wants to give me $100 today. Two $50 bills, they, they just feel like today is, is their day to, to give me 100 bucks. And Wow. Lucas, how are you doing today? You're doing great? Let's, uh, let's get you a mic, man. What, what do you have, dude? I have 100 bucks for you. 100 bucks for me? Why would you do that? Yeah. Or maybe that's just because you gave it to me and I don't want to talk about it. So, what, was it ever your $100? No. Did it come from your account or my account this morning? You. Yes, that is correct. So, did you really have any claim to it? No. Was it really nice to have it for that hour, though? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. It's the same for you and me. It's just not practiced beforehand and figured out on the phone yesterday. God says, I'm going to give you a hundred bucks, but it's really mine. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to give it back. 
And when you do, this is the next part. Bring down the temper, timber, rebuild my temple. And then what does he say next? He says, then I will take pleasure in it and I will be honored, says the Lord. Now what God takes pleasure in most is seeing lost people come to Jesus. He says there's a bigger party in heaven when one lost person comes to Jesus than over 99 others who just continue to follow him. We're given toward the party. And part of how we experience God's pleasure and God's honor is that he gives us wisdom on how to manage the next 90%. 10% goes straight back to him, and then he uses us, he encourages us, he teaches us how to model, how to steward, how to manage, since he owns it and we manage it, how to manage the 90% to cover 100% of our bills. There's a yeah. verse on the bottom of the book uh, that you're going to take home today, uh, and it's Luke 15.32, and it says, we had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and he has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. You know, as a church, we want to we wanna fund God's work to reach our community, to reach our part of the city where 67,000 people live who don't care about Jesus, don't know about Jesus. And we want to see them meet Jesus. That's why we're here. And so I'm inviting you over the next few weeks as we dig into this, let's look at what God has for you and me. Let's look at what God wants to teach you and me about the money that he gives us and says, this is how I want you to honor me around your finances. Let's press into the lessons. Let's press into the ways that he wants to stretch us and teach us and grow us and build our faith as we follow him and ask for miracles along the way. As always, like I'm not super financially deep, so if you have questions about this and there's stuff that you want answers to, I can probably explain it in a very simple way because that's the only way that I know it. And we want to be super transparent with this. As you've got any questions about any of this stuff as we talk about in the next few weeks, ask me. Let's talk about it. Let's press into this. Even if you want to talk theology about stuff, like where does God get the 10% from? Why should we still honor this? And let's talk about it. Let's press into how God wants to use us and stretch us and grow our faith uh, as we release what he's given to us for the sake of people who know us and don't yet know him. Let's stand and pray.